Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, we are we're in for a spicy episode today. Uh, we've got, we're all here, and we're talking about uh, some heat stress today. And we I know we're not together physically today, so hopefully, yeah. uh, the traumatic experience will be de-escalated just a little. <laughs> the traumatic for us and for the listeners out yeah. there, for both parties. I'm glad you brought this up, Lexi, uh, because I have been sweating a lot. <laughs> and it is stressful have you and been I feeling not spicy? Felt... Oh, you mean in plants. <laughs> Got it. I Brent mean, today does have a red shirt on. We are talking to farmers, so you know, we That's get true. hot too. Uh the past I don't know, past couple weekends it's been miserable hot, hot outside. Mm. I don't know if I'm you guys have noticed, a... like if you stand in the sun, it's hotter than if you're in the shade. Yeah. <laughs> I think it I think they're related. There's something about the sun. Correlation for sure. I don't know. <laughs> I'm say it's directly I'm a bit, involved. I'm a bit of a but... More, more research is needed. I say. <laughs> if I were a solar panel, a book by Ray Tackett. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, I'm always like covered up in the summer too. Like I'm always. Everybody's like, "How are you standing that heat?" Because I'm pale and mm. in long sleeves and pants with a big sun mm-hmm. hat on. Like, I have learned to love like sun shirts, like true mm-hmm. like sun shirts. I, I've grown to love them. We used to put up a lot of like hay in the summer at 104 degrees mm. with cotton shirts oh. on, but mm-hmm. they were long sleeve, always long sleeve because mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and I'm so glad that we have performance materials now, everyone. I do love that. I have a question. What SPF do the bald boys use on their heads? I almost I almost always wear a hat, so I don't usually apply oh. SPF. Oh, you're no, a hat I go, I go 50 yeah. plus for sure. Okay, all right. I was just yeah, curious. Yeah, i make- same. Want to make sure that we are protecting our skin here, folks. Oh, just yeah. paint mm-hmm. my forehead with aluminum paint. I don't actually do aluminum that, paint. Just for the record, just for the record, yeah. <laughs> Something See, aluminum foil. How about aluminum foil on my forehead? Yeah. This because is a what, plant podcast, not an alien podcast. Okay, so where did the plants foil. come from in the first place? You can use um, aluminum foil. The chicken the or the egg, culture. people. The chicken or the egg. <laughs> Anyways, talking heat stress. Talking spicy. Yeah heat today so uh yeah let's talk about how plants react yeah with some heat so now, stress when today. you are thinking about you're talking about heat stress you're are you thinking or, or initially at least thinking mostly about like annuals that we're you're, you're wanting to talk about or are you thinking perennials as well what's your what's your uh all of the above yeah yeah because it, 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 it seems yeah. like there is there's a little bit of a difference right between something that was just planted in the ground you know, four or, weeks ago versus uh, something that. Yeah, absolutely. Or how about a perennial that was planted when it's really hot out that goes in the yeah. ground, which is, I know a different case scenario, but yeah. 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 It seems like the perennial plants can handle the heat with a more established uh, root system in some cases, yep. in some cases, and especially those perennials that have, you know, deeper tap rooted system have you all gotten well, had questions from folks coming in about that were that seemed to be related to the heat as far as their plants or pictures or samples or whatever you know phrase it that way but on the let's say on the perennial side yes because it seems like if you have like bacterial leaf scorch or any of these other existing conditions they always show up during a dry during drought conditions mm-hmm. or extended periods mm-hmm. dry periods i mean so Basically, it seems like when it gets really dry that it unmasks 
all the other mm-hmm. existing problems with plants. I don't know. Yeah, if we've been seeing a lot of winter damage that is shown in the past oh, yeah. actually couple mm. weeks. So absolutely, you know, yeah. we're in some, you know beginning of summer and we're seeing mm-hmm. uh, winter damage. But I think so. The question going back to like perennials versus annuals, I think a good place to start there is something that is happens with both perennials and, and annuals. It's all plants, and that's the act of transpiration. Mm. So I think understanding what transpiration is mm. is going to be the most helpful in understanding how plants are affected by heat stress and heat and drought. So I feel like those also need to be something we're talking about. We're talking about there's heat stress, which is caused just by the temperatures, but it could be raining every day, but you have really hot temperatures. But then there's drought stress mm. where you can have a drought even when it's cold. I mean, we see uh, winter damage on a lot of our, um, you know, evergreens when we don't have a ton of precipitation in the winter mm. and they go through drought stress. Yeah. It's not just the cold. So I think often people call want to think of those things as the same thing and they do often go together, but they are different yeah. from a plant Great distinction. perspective. Um, but transpiration. So <clears throat> I, this is just always helpful, like for me and understanding and thinking about how the plant works. So perennials, annuals, right? They all have roots and they're all going through a process called transpiration, which is part of uh, photosynthesis. And so transpiration is essentially just the loss of water through the leaves of a plant. It's through their, what's called the stomata, which is just their pores. So it's essentially kind of like they're sweating, right? Mm. If you want to put person people characteristics onto plants. Um, so they are, they're sweating. The plants are tra- transpiring. Uh, I like to say I'm not sweaty. I'm, I'm just transpiring. Uh, <laughs> when, uh, when I'm outside. So but transpiration, that pro- my trans- yeah, tra- it's going on my transpiration board, transpiration <laughs> board on Pinterest. Exactly. So, um, essentially, so 90% of that water that that plant takes up, um, is lost through transpiration. Okay. And so that is necessary. That transpiration is necessary because that movement of that water and that pressure being taken out through the top through, I'm, if you were like watching me right now, I know we're on a podcast. My <laughs> arms are doing some things right now. I'm a lot very, of gesturing. <laughs> that, a lot that of the gesturing. YMCA? Well, Picture a column of water. Right. A column of <laughs> a water straw, from the root straws. system. Yeah, so there you go. That water is being lost through the leaves, through the top. And because of that, it is able to pull up water from the root system. Mm. So there is some gas exchange and stuff that happens, you know, in the leaves, blah, blah, blah. But the main focus here is that in order for the plant to pull water from the soil, it has to lose water in the leaves. Mm. And a real, another important thing about this is we see a lot of nutrient deficiencies mm. when a plant is not able to access water for a couple different reasons, and we'll go into that. But nutrients go in through the water, through water, right, through the root system. So if it's not able to pull up water, it's not able to pull up those nutrients. And so people want to throw fertilizer on a plant mm. because it's looking nutrient deficient. But really, it's that your soil has plenty of nutrients in it a lot of the time. It's you're not getting enough water. And that's like a a good example of that is like blossom end rot. You're not watering consistently enough to pull that calcium up into the plant. Yeah, I tend to think of that, that kind of transpiration, or I always use evapotranspiration Mm. because it's a longer word and it makes me sound bright. I'm really cool. Um, (laughs) But it has that evaporation kind of component built, built into it and that that whole process is kind of, I mean, it is critical to like the plant's metabolism. Like, Mm -hmm. as you say, it's helping draw the nutrients in, it's helping things mobilize and move up through. And I mean, even at the 
the point where it is lost into the atmosphere and it's evaporating, there is a little bit of uh, cooling that's happening mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the plant tissue. Yeah. So it's it's a way that the plant tries to regulate its temperatures through that. It's um, because unlike mm-hmm. us, plants can't go hide in the shade or put on a hat. They're kind of stuck with what the sun and the elements are doing mm-hmm. to them. I guess we'll back up just a second. We're talking about heat stress. So what's the, and we're going to talk talk about averages here. Uh, I'll ask you guys about this, but the average range, like above what temperature do we start to see heat stress? Like what's the average optimum for zone six, seven, you know, roughly kind of where we're at here in Kentucky, the central part uh, for Kentucky overall, really. But like what's an average range uh, where if we get outside of that range, we start to see heat stress. I mean, is there any averages that, that you guys typically go by? I know when I'm working with commercial vegetable producers, we, we definitely have a range in mind. I don't know if it's different for flowers. You know, I think it's under 90 as well, like for field vegetables. But is that different depending on some of the crops you guys deal with? So mo- I, I like to think of them. There's a reason we have cool season plants and warm season plants as well. So, you know, peas are going to have a different... Uh, snow peas are going to have a different growing t- uh, mm. amount than beans or something like that is. But I know, and this is, I only know this because I looked it up in, in preparation because we mm. prepare for you people. We want you to know there's a <laughs> lot of work that goes Alexis, into this rambling. Alexis okay? is being modest. It's all in there in her mind <laughs> right? at all Ray, times. I, I don't want to make anybody Ray like painted his up. head with aluminum paint just for this podcast in preparation for you <laughs> yeah. all. It is, He's quite shiny purpose, right now. It looks like yeah, a silver surfer the knowledge in. I don't want it radiating out to anyone else. But I know the ideal, like in a perfect world for tomatoes and peppers are an example that I'm going to go with because it's kind of something that everybody grows. They are warm season, but they actually, I was surprised, ideally like it a little bit cooler than I thought Mm -hmm. they would. So those perfect temperatures uh, are between for those are between 68 and 77 degrees Fahrenheit, which I was cooler than I thought it was going to be. But then yeah. it makes sense when we start to see temperatures above 80. And it's not saying that your plant's not going to grow. We're talking perfect, you know, scenario yeah, here. Optimal. Right. Optimal. Thank you. But above 80, we start to see problems. And above 85 is when we really see a hit on crops. Yeah. For the most part, even I would say even in the flower world, even those warm season crops will slow down in temps that are between 85 and 90, you know, if, if there's not enough moisture and it, it kind of comes back to also humidity in mm-hmm. the air, which we've, right. I don't want to like jump too far off of this where Ray was going. I'm going to circle back to humidity and how that affects transpiration <laughs> because it's very exciting. Um. Yeah. So, so, so I, I've always thought about it as like 75 green light, 80 yellow light, 85 orange light, 90 and above red light. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, sure. above 90 for an extended amount of time, pepper, squash, and cucumbers, you have blossom, all the blossoms yes. dropping off or a large percentage until it cools down. So you just straight start losing percentage of crop yeah. above 90. That's the red zone, yeah. right? And, yeah, and nighttime, nighttime yeah. temperatures factor in too, I think. If it's, yes. if it's cooling off yes. versus uh, just staying hot, right. like some of those times in July yeah, where you have where it's like, you walk out at 6 a.m. Yeah. and it feels like... Yeah, 6 a.m. It's 80 yeah, degrees. Just, yeah. Just mm-hmm. soaking humidity. You know, <laughs> right. Start with on, on the commercial side of things, too, if you really notice, I mean, temperature is so critical, but also as an indication of where the plant is and the stress that it could possibly be under, the amount of 
product, if you're doing like an insect or weed control, if you look on the labels of a lot of commercial chemicals uh, or even homeowner mm-hmm. chemicals, there will be a temperature warning on there that mm-hmm. will say, if you're applying, let's say, to a cool season lawn, a weed control product, it'll absolutely say, do not apply above this temperature or you're yeah. going to damage the crop that would otherwise be perfectly safe to put that product on. So yeah, temperature... And that that tells us a lot about, you know, both the product that you're putting on, not only that, but the stress that the plant's under. So, mm-hmm. yeah, temperature is so very important. Once things get heat stressed, lots of bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a publication here from Oregon State. That, that it, this is addressed to people who are, you know, gardening, lawn landscaping, flower shrubs, trees, and they give kind of a blanket. Most plants grow best, 59 to 86 and then they start Mm -hmm. giving the warnings above 90 and then i have a a little reference document that of course anyone can get that has optimal ranges and kind of it's more for minimal but it gives you your optimal but yeah that's the uh, tcd high tunnel planting day calendar you have there josh right right and that is of course for somebody who's trying to manage for low temperatures but it does give you the optimal range of what you want to what where you're getting your target growth and so above that you know, you're going to have problems with nutrient transport or trying to, uh, one of the recommendations I saw was, you know, as you say, when you see these signs that indicate uh, like a nutrient deficiency, mm-hmm. that what is really going on is, you know, the lack of water. And one of the things that you could, something to not do is to apply fertility at that mm-hmm. time, right? You're just exacerbating the problem. Yeah. It's, it's funny how a lot of these a lot of these problems, we think of these plants and we sort of attribute a certain amount of like agency or intentionality or whatever to those, like the ways that we do, you know, if I get hot, I'm going to, since, as I discovered this past week, I'm going to go in the shade instead of the sun. But a lot Mm -hmm. of the, a lot of the issues with plants or the ways that plants function, they're, they're this blend of like physics and biology and chemistry mm-hmm. and biology. I mean, those are all, these are artificial constructs. We separate them all out into the things we call sciences, but to, to pull it back, Alexis, to that physiology thing that you're talking about in the transpirational process. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, you're saying that leaves are transpiring. That creates this like pull kind of like a siphon mm-hmm. on a pressure. hose. Mm-hmm. It creates mm-hmm. this negative pressure that pulls water up through the roots. So the more leaves that a plant has, the greater the pressure and the more water it's moving. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. right. That, and then yeah. I'm connecting this to, I think, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's one of those things that I've, I've heard and seen is that people tend to overwater their plants in the spring and or when they're mm-hmm. young and they tend to underwater them once they're mature. And, you know, if we're thinking yeah. in addition to the heat and the, the process, how that's driving transpiration and, and uh, evaporation, also, think about an older plant. It's got way more leaves. It's got way more right. little straws sucking on that water column to pull water up through the through the roots. And so, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. That you know, it's not that the plant is like, oh, I need more water consciously. I need more water in my leaves, so I'm going <laughs> to you know initiate the pumps. It's actually this much more passive and elegant mm-hmm. way of moving water and, and doing things and responding. And so, what ha- so what's happening with heat stress partially? is this is a question is that something about that mechanism is disrupted or is is impeded is that right so i think yeah so heat stress 
I'm going to cycle kind of back into that humidity part mm-hmm. of this because I think that at least in Kentucky, right? We we always say you're gonna you're gonna boil. You're not really gonna fry in the frying pan. You're gonna boil oh, in a pot God. of water here because the humidity <laughs> is so high. With that <laughs> so we are all just two. <laughs> I am I, as a bold. person. I have We're bold, all just myself. Frogs. I have bowled like a peanut before, so I can relate. <laughs> We're all just frogs slowly <laughs> beginning our boil. <laughs> Right, right. We won't notice, so it yeah, doesn't matter. Just do it yeah, gradually. It frog in the boiling water. <laughs> yeah, gradually. So, <laughs> you turn so the temperature up slowly, please. One problem I see, I think, with heat and water. So, so water is more related to it's kind of that drought stress thing. So, uh, as well as heat, this is, they're they're all connected, yeah. but they're separate, mm-hmm. right? We kind of mentioned that, but I want to circle back to humidity, kind of while we're at this point of. So sometimes we have these times of year where we have very high humidity mm-hmm. in Kentucky, right? Just mm-hmm. obnoxious. But we also have that partnered with high temps. So we're going to say above 85, which we know is a danger zone for plants. But we may be getting plenty of rain because we have that humidity and we still see plants that have nutrient deficiencies, but mm-hmm. also may look like they have are not getting enough water. Uh, so sometimes that can be like root disease problems, but sometimes that is because that negative pressure we talked about, that siphoning that's coming out of the leaves cannot happen because there's so much water in the air Mm -hmm. that you're not getting enough negative reaction to pull it out of the soil. Now, your plant still will probably not wilt in the same way as it would if it's, you know, 90 degrees and bone dry outside, but we will see nutrient deficiencies, especially Mm. even if the plant looks okay, because it's not pulling water often enough to pull in those minerals because the humidity is so high, we're not having that negative pressure happening. That's sort of like, like if I go out and work outside when it's hot and it's dry out, Mm -hmm. My clothes stay relatively dry because my sweat is evaporating. I'm not sweating mm-hmm, any right. less versus yeah. mm-hmm. the days I'm looking forward to in July that now I will mentally <laughs> think of myself as boiling alive. <laughs> when my shirt, I walk out and within 15 minutes, my shirt is soaked and the rest mm-hmm. of the day yeah. I am just shedding water drips, mm-hmm. not evaporating. Right. It's kind of a similar thing that right. at, the, right. at the leaf surface because it's so humid, it can't evaporate because of that mm-hmm. that concentration of water in the air is too high. Right, right. Right. Cool. And yeah. we see mostly nutrient deficiencies then. I mean, we see a little bit of, you know, that water loss, but there's usually enough water mm-hmm. in the air that mm-hmm. it's kind of keeping everybody a little bit more happy and you won't see a ton of drooping Man, on your plants. Is, I'm glad I'm friends with you nerds as the, <laughs> as the resident cool guy. You glad know? I'm friends with you nerds. Yeah. But we see this you will in high see nutrient deficiency. Lot. Yeah, high tunnels a lot. There's- every every high tunnel I've looked at in the spring, and I made several site visits to uh, multiple high tunnels, and they've all that. And it's not unusual for tomatoes. I'll pick on that crop. Physiological leaf roll. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes it, it, in a certain way, in a circular way, it can be related to high temperatures, also to soil moisture. But a lot of those, they had plenty of soil soil moisture. But we see like and corn. Corn will roll out in the field. You can just pick mm-hmm. out when it starts to get dry. Use that as an indicator crop. As I'm just driving by, I'm like, yeah, it's starting so to get what's dry. So what's the aspect of tunnels that makes it specific? 
Temperature variations uh, mm-hmm. there uh, can relate to that and the way that the plant is. I mean, because past a certain temperature, you're going to shut down the, the, the plant straws. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the mechanisms, the stomata mechanisms that control all of that. I mean, stomata is kind of cool. They can give off and take in moisture. That's mm-hmm. a cool thing about those. I don't know. Alexis, did you find that? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we talked to master gardeners a lot about Yeah, We don't rely on them to take in a lot of moisture. But it's, that's, that mechanism yeah. is just disrupted and it's the not only sustained high temperatures but the the high low temperature variation differential they can also hold humidity too the highest time right yes and it's really calm you know you can go down a rabbit hole when you're talking about this stuff but as we're talking about this what do you guys look for i mean it's it's easy to say you know a plant has heat stress but what does that look like maybe for the homeowner Mm -hmm. that may not be accustomed to looking for such things um I know I look for leaf rolling and cupping Mm -hmm. or sometimes yellowing, of course, wilting, but it's more complicated than that Mm -hmm. because wilting is not always an indication that there's a lack of moisture or that the temperatures are too high. So you kind of look for a variety of things. What else do you guys look for? Once I started working with plants, I, I think realizing that wilting is, you know, it's obviously not good. But it looks mm-hmm. so much worse than it is sometimes <laughs> yeah. that you like yeah. panic. So I remember we had back when I worked in the research side planting, uh, we had some watermelons we had to plant on black plastic and mm-hmm. it rained and rained and rained and rained. And then there was this like three day window where it had dried out enough that we were able to get these things in. Well, it just so happened that that same window was like it jumped up to 89 degrees, you know, for three days. Mm-hmm. And so we put these transplants in, had to get them in, and they looked like death. <laughs> right? Black plastic, hot. Did huh? everything we could yeah. to try to. And then. Which that's a whole nother problem. The plastic itself yeah, can get so yeah. hot above 90 that you're going to. What? Did you guys experience well, that? Well, three breath? days later, I mean, they perked right back up. We got some rain yeah, and everything great. was fine. Yeah. But it was one of those moments of, again, yeah. it, and when you're doing stuff, you don't want to make that a practice because every. And what Alexis was, I think, is going to talk a little bit about like stress can be this cumulative thing where a stress in one area opens up the plant to vulnerability in other areas. And, it, it, you know, you don't want to yeah. do that because a plant that gets, gets super heat stressed next to a plant that didn't go through that, the plant that didn't go through that's going to have a head start to grow better and do better in mm-hmm. general, just like a human being, you know, someone who's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you see all this weird like bolting and just all these yeah. uh, reproductive changes in the plant. And then, so I've heard people refer to that as well, the, the tomato plant got age on <laughs> And I guess that's their, <laughs> their simplified way of saying that it went through these stress cycles. And I guess it d- did literally get physiological aging. Lightly I mean, distressed. Yeah, in a manner of speaking, yeah. <laughs> stress can age you. Stress a, lot of, a lot of city age. miles on yeah. that one. Yeah, a lot of wrinkles yeah, on that A lot of stop and go mileage on that tomato, yeah. <laughs> You don't want the tiny tomato that's blooming, folks. Just a word to the wise. One of the mm. things, we kind of already hit on it, but that I get a lot of questions on around mid-July because that's when we get so hot mm. and in through August is my bean plant, my squash plant, my tomato plant, whatever. Na- name, a, name a plant, to be honest with you. Persimmon. Is, uh, oh, sorry. That was my, pers- my persimmon sorry. plant. Sorry. My persimmon plant. Any hot weather oh, plant. Any, any, but anyways, it's, they've stopped fruiting. Mm. Like I'm not getting, I'm not harvesting off any, anything, but the plant is, looks healthy, you know, and they've probably, they probably did everything right. Maybe they did a soil test. They've been watering well. Um, they've been doing all those things, but they're not getting any fruit. They're like, you know, I get blooms, but I don't get any fruit off of it. And that's 
like we've mentioned before, once we re- reach those temps, those inflorescence, inflorescence is just a fancy way of saying the flower, the inflorescence aborts on that plant. So that pollen dies, you know, the, the seed, the egg that creates that fruit dies, you know, whatever it is. And so you'll get blossoms and blossoms and blossoms, but you don't get that any fruit to form mm-hmm. because it aborts before you get to that mm-hmm. point. Or, you know, you'll get like a little, like on squash, you'll get something that's like the tip of your pinky little looks like a little squash. And it's because it started when it was maybe cooler and then it got so hot that it aborted before it could kind of finish. So that's one thing I see a lot of. Uh, so if you're not getting fruit, but your plant looks healthy and you're getting blooms, uh, that could be one reason why if you look back on the temps. And in some cases, though, once temps come back down a little bit or if there's a break, mm-hmm. you might you might have a plant that will put on blooms that, that will mature into fruit. Right. Right, right. Just keep it healthy, keep it happy, and and once temps come back down, you'll get that fruit to start again. Yeah, so can that, all, that's can one all thing the tomatoes for those. that you already have that are stacked up on your countertop, <laughs> like me. It's giving yourself a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's giving you it's a natural. break. From a very practical like field standpoint, let's like pick on tomatoes. If something's going on with your tomatoes, and I've seen this in very hot years, but if your vines don't have good like physical vine coverage, then you have fruit that's exposed to to hot summer sun, and then you just get sun scald, which in turn makes can make blossom end rot even worse. Uh, but it's sort of one thing leads to another. It's like a domino effect. If something has affected your plant growth for a number, you know, for a length of time, and it's not growing well, I mean that's true of grapes or any other thing where it takes leaf cover mm-hmm. to cover fruit. Blackberries that you can include that in there as well. Mm-hmm. Not only that has that has to do with where you plant those uh, slope orientation and all of that, but if the plant's not healthy and doing well, you see all of these other things show up as a result of things like heat stress, where the plant's not growing in an optimum way, and you just get all of these other fruit conditions that show up mid and late season, and that's just from a purely you know, kind of field facing perspective, but that's one of the first things I look for is to see what kind of leaf cover a particular plant has as I'm doing diagnosis and try to figure out what's causing sun scald mm-hmm. because that's not a normal, that's not a normal situation to have sun scald because plants have evolved a way in which to protect those reproductive structures in essence. So, but we see that as a function of heat stress too in the long game. So, so far we, we think about the like we mentioned, you know, sun scald or fruit damage in general. That's one thing that happens as a result of heat stress. Alexis, you were talking about, uh, you know, flowers aborting or blooms dropping. Uh, that's another mm-hmm. component of that. Uh, some wilting is it can be can be evidence of that. It could be something else. Um, what about like yeah. uh, like leaf curl? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Ray had mentioned leaf rolling and cupping mm-hmm. and uh, right. one kind of I leaf edges looking at them margins, that's also yeah. yeah margins are very the, mar- the margin is the yeah. outside edge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's kind of a survival mechanism that they can sacrifice some of that but i like the wilting is kind of a, a troubling one because you know it can indicate that there's not enough air down by the yeah. roots right mm-hmm. like so it's kind Over of a, a symptom yeah a symptom of overwatering. so it it can be unreliable in those kind of and, systems. And while we're, while we're here on the, you talk about the roots, this is something, you know, again, all, all these three people are more, much more plant people than, than I am. I'm catching up gradually here in my, uh, <laughs> in my thirties and learning, but the, <laughs> the fertilizer thing, 
Um, the plant looks bad. Let me, and it looks bad because there's not enough water moving up to the leaves, carrying nutrients for one reason or another. Let me just put a bunch of fertilizer and inspire the plant because it can just smell that down by its toes, right? It, in that case, what my understanding of what's happening, you all correct me if I'm wrong, is that you, if you think about like, we know that in environments where you have a high concentration and a low concentration right next to each other, the low concentration area that water is going to move to areas of higher concentration. So in essence, you're creating a little saltwater bath with the fertilizer that your roots are now soaked in, and it's going to draw water out of the roots. Is this, does that sound reasonable? In some cases it's possible because you could get it. That's a whole nother discussion is like soluble salts and soils and how that affects positive, negative uptake and all of that. Why, so why not? It's why a, don't fertilize? Can. The reason I, from a field perspective, once again, that I, I recommend people, and this you have to look in the crystal ball ahead two to three weeks. If you see a ongoing, uh, very hot weather pattern, I advise people to back off from particularly nitrogen because that's one of the macronutrients that promotes excessive top growth. Well, what, you, what you're going to have in that situation is a lot of tender growth with very tender mm. leaves that don't have, you know, developed lamina mm-hmm. on the leaves. And you're going to get burn, physical burn. burn. If it's hot and dry, you're going to, and you're going to lose that growth. So yeah. it's better to back off it, but you have to look in the crystal ball a little mm-hmm. bit. And that's more on the commercial side. It also applies to homeowners. If you're fertilizing, you know, your annual flowers, you have to be careful about promoting a lot of tender growth, not only yeah. for aphids, which also love it, but you have to be careful when you see hot, dry weather coming up. I really work with my commercial producers. I'm like, have you seen the forecast for the next two weeks? It's supposed to be yeah. super hot. Just back up a little right. bit on your fertigation. Mm-hmm. So that's one, that's one of the reasons I try to, you know, talk to people about that. Yeah. It's one of the ways it's like, it's a, it's desirable conditions for new growth Mm. to be able to kind of grow Mm -hmm. healthily. But what what you say about, you know, there are fertilizers that are essentially salts Mm -hmm. and that, that can be real when you apply some that it'll suck the water right out of the plant tissue. Which is the opposite opposite of of what we're looking for. (laughs) Right. 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 You also just, waste it like you know even even if that like instance doesn't happen or doesn't happen to a great enough extent to cause a lot of problems it's Mm. just go you know on a larger scale it's just going down into the water you know water table and we got i'm sure that the the algae in the gulf of mexico would disagree with the fact that it's wasted (laughs) they like to get big on that yeah yeah. Uh, cyanobacteria yeah just waste your money it's kind of yeah because i mean you know the problem is is that the if there's a lack of water, the nutrients aren't going to even get into the plant anyway, mm-hmm. right? The, the column isn't pulling them up. So. To add insult to injury, here's the worst, by far the worst thing to me because it 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 messes with me on a personal level. <laughs> but and I will pick on home lawns, cool season lawns, which are predominant here in Kentucky. Is we we tell people not to fertilize in the summer if you don't have irrigation. If you're on a high level maintenance schedule that has irrigation, all that, so be it. We can work with you, but typical homeowners don't have that. We tell them not to fertilize in the summer. They come back and say, why? Well, there's lots of good reasons. My number one reason is you're fertilizing that grass at a point where it's not normally doing a whole lot because it is, as Alexa said, a cool season grass. Not only that, but you'll have a much better response curve from the weeds that are competing mm, with the boom. desirable crops. Yeah, yeah. We see that in the summer during a, during hot, dry spells. That's another reason that if you're broadcasting or side dressing any kind of fertilizer, I'm like, be very careful because think about what's going to be able to 
to have a competitive advantage from that. A lot of times mm-hmm. the crops that we deal with that we're selecting for, that we've planted for whatever reason, they don't deal with the heat and stress as, as well as weeds do. Like something right. like a grass, like a C4 to category yeah. that just love that. Love hot, dry conditions. It doesn't bother them. They have roots 12 to 15 feet deep. Right. Yeah, you're fertilizing the weeds during hot, dry spells. So yeah. be very careful about your fertilizer application. So in the, on that, just a very brief aside on, on the you know extension recommendation side of things, if I want to build out a landscape that I have to be less concerned about heat stress about, are there types of plants mm-hmm. that I would want to select? I might just put some, you know, amaranth and... Uh, Johnson weed out, you know, I mean, Johnson grass out, right? No, probably this won't is do a that. Huge, this is a huge, you might really have to yeah. mow it hard. Rocks and other plants that are, have a little more resilience sure. to. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is a massive topic out West. And I, and there's a lot of, I saw a lot of uh, presentation schedule scheduled for a national professional association, but out West, as we all know, they've been through some cycles in the past, in the recent past, where they've had extended dry spells. And, you know, a lot of those developments are in deserts. So, yeah, mm-hmm. zero, I think it is that. Is that zero escaping, yeah, it starts with an X. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, uh, it's a strange word. But basically, Brett, it's working with those plants, and there's available list of mm-hmm. plants that do better without any additional irrigation. And I love those lists. That's a, yeah, that's a great point, Brett. Yeah, yeah, because uh, lawns can be very thirsty, in terms mm-hmm. of like how much water they want. So drought conditions, you know, are real hard on them and they yeah. make it hard on anything else you're growing. If you notice out in our cool season lawns, a lot of times the only thing that's going to be during an extended hot dry spell, the only thing that's going to be green out there is something like a white clover mm-hmm. or yeah, right. clovers that uh, just deal with that better. Mm-hmm. And you can pick out all the weeds because they're the only thing that's a nice green. So you <laughs> dandelions that are taprooted, they're mm-hmm. green for a reason. So, so yeah. So to Alexis's point earlier, we are we are kind of now starting to mix heat and drought stress as as these mm-hmm. two kind of mm-hmm. slightly different things. Oh. But I mean, are are yeah. the primary mechanisms? Is you know, as always, me asking my my plant friends, like, is the primary mechanism an issue for heat stress? The fact that water's not moving through the plant enough. One of the big issues. Yes. Yeah, I would. Because as Alexis said, you know, you don't get those. A lot of those molecules, those nutrients moving through the plants properly yeah. and we get all sorts of deficiencies. And so the so yeah. the difference there are other things going on, mm-hmm. like it messes with plant metabolism and like yes. creating ATP and stuff like that. But I mm-hmm. think the if I had to lay money on it, I'd say it's interference with water movement and transport. And so in that in that case um, we're talking about initially. times where it is really, really hot. There may be water in the soil but it's so hot that the mm-hmm. plant can't mess with it, which is different from it's just yeah, been really dry it, it, and there's no can't. water there for the roots to suck up anyway. And a good indication is you'll see something like a, oh, I don't know, um, like a hydrangea. The old-fashioned hydrangeas are a little bit worse for this. They'll really wilt during the day, mm-hmm. but they'll come back during the night. They'll shut down when they need to to protect themselves during hot, really hot times, I've noticed. But, and people say, oh, is that going to hurt the plant? I, and my question back to them is, are you experiencing sun scald? Because a lot of times when you lose pressure in the leaves, it wilts. If the plant's not designed to, to survive through those conditions, you'll get sun scald. And that's going to, you know, enough sun scald 
You lose but, photosynthesis uh, and stuff. Yes. Yeah. You have leaf damage and you lose the energy factories, the leaves in the plants. But I notice, I, and they say, no, we don't see any discoloration on the leaves or any burning of the leaves on the margins or, or in between. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it's probably fine then. It's yeah. probably fine. It's just going through a cycle that it evolved to manage. Right. Uh, how about, I got a question for the kind of group. Is there a practice you recommend that is safe for helping plants going through heat stress, right? Like we've already talked about watering might be kind of dicey if they're mm-hmm. already being overwatered and you're not sure what's going with, on with there. Turf, we do that. We don't do it for the water and commercial turf. We do it to cool the soil to mm-hmm. get a more optimum environment for cool season grasses, which but they're like, why are you watering? It just, you know, it's hot out, but we've had plenty of rain. Well, that's not the point. It's to cool right, right. Uh, the soil. So that's a little bit to that in a very specific scenario. But now uh, commercial turf, they do that all the time for the cooling effects. Mm-hmm. Or other like non-turf plants. We always say mulch is the yeah, way to go. Right. So it's yeah, as far keeping as the, the keeping yeah. the so- it's keeping the soil moisture consistent longer, but it's also keeping the temperature consistent longer. So right. when you have those cool times, it's staying cooler longer. Or you know, in winter or spring, it's staying you know warmer longer. But then the, the moisture yeah. is the same way. And I think that that the moisture as both the moisture and cooling aspect um, play a lot into that nutrient movement and. Keep Keeping mm-hmm. those nutrients and that water uptake more consistent for happy, you know, those roots are happier. So you're getting more consistent water and therefore nutrient uptake in that way. Now it's not mm-hmm. going to help it if the heat is killing your blossoms off, but your plant will be mm-hmm. healthy so that when that heat does drop and you're allowed to, you have blooms, you know, returning, you're going to have a really happy plant to produce more fruit. So yeah, in terms of, in terms of like landscape stuff, I think, you know, mm-hmm. to your point, Josh, or to our discussion one of the previous weeks, maybe last week, about ecosystem services, you can protect plant, you use taller plants that are a little more robust to protect other plants from the really mm-hmm. hot afternoon, late afternoon and evening sun. Um, you know, that they're going to mm-hmm. get mostly sun most of the day, yeah. but the backside, right, that, you right. know, that western western edge you could have a deciduous plant or something that might uh, grow up and be able to let light through in the spring yeah. more and then it fills out and then protects in the in the afternoon i think that's part of it alexis you have any uh shade cloth in your repertoire mm. yeah so i use shade i've used shade cloth on um on my high tunnel most people do in in the state you know starting in june it needs it should have already been on by now yeah. it's not on yet but yeah, that's that's a good way to just kind of cut back on a little bit of that heat. It never seems like enough, at least yeah. when I'm personally in there. I'm just like, is this working at all? <laughs> um, <laughs> but but it does work uh, to just kind of <laughs> shade out those plants and and keep the keep that sun from creating scald. Uh, I've what, another what percent do you, you brought it up sorry. and it rem- what, huh? what percentage do you? Um, I think I've got thirty yeah. percent, uh, yeah. which is kind of a standard i think for at least a lot of the crops that i'm growing yeah, I think thir- 30 it's enough to get like a good tan yeah. but not burn. i, I, I yeah. see, you know, <laughs> see 30 to 50 depending on what it is yeah. and whether you're mm-hmm. trying to because some people will try to well in a nursery environment they don't have natural shade so they'll put shade cloth mm-hmm. on to grow their hostas in a yeah. you know structure and they'll sure. But anyway, I was just curious. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was thinking of when you brought up using other plants to shade younger plants. This this year in my perennial rows. So I grow large quantities of a variety of, of perennials and I have this one, it's 
it's called Aruncus. Is the it's one of our natives. It's A R U N C U S. Sounds like a European rock. Group. Aruncus. I'm just throwing out that. But Aruncus. Hello, the common name Aruncus. Is I saw them in Berlin. Hello, Berlin. <laughs> we love you. The common name is Goat's Beer. Oh, even yeah, that's their first album. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so it, it's a good one. It's can get to be kind of a large flowering shrub, but it has these uh, sort of. Uh, ferny looking leaves almost it really prefers to be in partial sun like it wants to have morning sun and then it that's it but when i had it i kind of wasn't thinking about it and i put it in a full sun area and it gets hot and it blooms around mm. this time of year so it's it's usually we have hot days you know we've been in the night we've had the degrees and degrees in the 90s days in the 90s um <laughs> <laughs> lately and uh so Anyways, this year I didn't get to weed that row like I normally would. And I had this wild geranium come up and kind of engulf the plant. And wild geranium is, is definitely not the worst weed if you're not familiar with it. But it's, you know, it kind of gets big, but it, it lets a lot of light through. Those geranium leaves are kind of uh, lacy. Yeah. And so it does let a lot of light through, but it kind of got big and it engulfed, right, this uh, runcus. And what I noticed, I had a lot more blooms this year. And I was like, what the heck? And I had no leaf scald on it. And last year, you know, I had I had a decent amount of blooms. But, you know, around this time, I got really bad burn around the edges because it prefers to have mm. a shadier afternoon, as we all do. I love a shady but afternoon. But because I had just enough shade from this <laughs> weed ger- of wild geranium, I didn't have that pressure on them. The plant is much healthier. And so, I don't know. I just... I feel like I need to say this for those of you who are fighting the weeds right now. Sometimes it's okay and be more gentle with yourself. All right, because you but may not the weeds. you be may get you weeds. may get some good something yeah, good boom, come out of it. You may learn more about competition. <laughs> right, you know, nice, so, nice. Um, Nature I, finds a I way. That. <laughs> that, that, the the geranium was just giving him a, a hug. Yeah, it was well, like, well, hey, let hug. me let me shade you, babe. Yeah, let me come shade with, you. Come here, hang under my shade. <laughs> Nature will find a way. Who was that? Malcolm said that on original Jurassic Park, I think. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Classic documentary about nature. Yeah. Chaos <laughs> theory. You were thinking about pulling that geranium. You were focused so much on whether you could. You didn't ask whether you should. Nice. Well, <laughs> I see we have some other fans in the, in the group today. Na, 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 we have some fans. Na, na. I don't. It seems like it's a tough during the discussion. It just made me think about some things because that is two different things that we're talking about here. There's the heat, mm-hmm. and then there's actually the available moisture in yeah. the soil. The two are different, yeah. and that, mm-hmm. I guess that's it. I'm hearing that from all of you guys is that two distinctly different scenarios. On, so it's, yeah, it's on neat. that point, and as you all are thinking, like I was talking to Alexis, uh, one of the time, many times we've talked recently, <laughs> and. We, she was talking about as an extension agent thinking if we don't get some rain before long, I'm going to need to start pulling some things together about watering older trees because you think yeah. like a, an older established tree in general, it's not going to be as, as susceptible to the, it's just really hot stuff. It's going to be more susceptible to there's not enough water in the soil. Mm-hmm. What's the, you all kind of follow drought maps about that or is there just kind of a sense of the amount of time or is there physiological things people observe as far as older established trees? Usually I uh, have to look at maps on that because sometimes it's really hard to get a handle on deep moisture yeah. uh, that's actually in the soil, available moisture at given depths. So I have to use maps and they tend to be larger geography 
based maps, but I have to use those and kind of reconcile what I'm seeing based on what I'm seeing on the computer and match the two up to see, you know, if that has anything to do with it. Because so, it's really tough. I mean, you have to water pretty deeply. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're talking about something like a tree, uh, goodness, and that's tough. It's it's hard to get water down that deep, and it, it takes a while to do that based on soil composition. So I'm, I'm less uh, um, technical about it, apparently, than, than Ray <laughs> is. So I kind of you in general, we use the thumb for majority of our deciduous plants, annuals, perennials, the one inch of water a week scenario. And that's like one inch per like square foot kind of idea. Yeah, any unit area. Any yeah. U- yeah. And so it it can be hard to kind of think of that for a tree. Like you're like, well, how much water is that actually? Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to think if we don't have rain within two weeks and our temperatures are, you know, around the eighties, uh, or higher than, then you need to water. So that's just kind of something that I don't know if I've just grasped from, mm-hmm. you know, personal as well as, you know, book knowledge. Another way to like, if you're like, okay, well, if you're not a general thinker like that, if you can't relatively easy, get a, um, like a shovel, like a trowel or a soil, I would say a soil probe, but not everybody has one of those. Although you <laughs> can often b- borrow those from your local extension it, office. <laughs> but a trowel, something like that. If you can't relatively easy get that down into the ground, you know, about eight inches, which is where a lot of our root system that's going to take up water, even trees and those larger perennial plants, eight to 12 inches. Um, if you can't get something relatively easy down in that far, it's probably too dry. Another thing is it could be really compacted and then you're, you're a suffering, you're going to suffer with the same, we got yeah. other problems, but you're <laughs> suffering with, you're going to suffer drought stress because Easier. of that yeah. compaction. Yeah. So either right. way you need to water. Um, and, and so that's yeah. kind of a, that's like a, something you can actually do if you're not like a generalist. Well, it hasn't rained in two weeks. I should probably water type thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, just something like and a simple. There are like some that. water calculators online, but if you look at a mature tree, let's say a 75 to 100 year old oak, and somebody says, Well, I want to water that. I'm experiencing some stress. I have bacterial leaf scorch. It's going to die in 20 years, but I want to mask those symptoms for the next 10 years. And you go through a thinking process with them, and it's, I mean, it may say five to 8,000 gallons of water on that tree mm. for watering. And then they back up and think, They're like, What? But based on the depth and the species of tree and the Mm -hmm. age of tree, now that's an extreme case. Homeowners, if you're really lucky, if you have a tree that's a maple that's 8 to 10 years old, you can do a much better job on that. But mature trees take thousands of gallons Mm -hmm. of water slowly dripped over time. And it's... It's a it's an expensive endeavor and it's a you know, it's a slow process. The drip line of these trees where the you know, the leaves yeah. tend to be dispersed. It's tough, but on smaller trees like Alexis is saying, it is awesome. You can make some really good headway, especially those plants that have been in the ground three years or less, because I don't know about you guys, but I don't consider a plant established at the bare minimum three to four years in Kentucky. If you have mm-hmm. something like, you know, a tree or shrub, I do not consider it established at mm-hmm. all until it's three to four years old. Then you can make some really good gains by watering and doing that intelligently like uh, Alexis kind of outlined there. But older trees are much tougher, thousands of gallons. It is amazing when you actually start calculating how much water these plants take up. It is incredible on mature trees but the younger trees you can you can you can do some good especially those new so planted. bang bang that's for, why the best sorry go ahead. 
I was to say the best thing you can do for a tree is to mulch it. I was just going to say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Don't, yeah. don't make a volcano, <laughs> yeah. you fools. Yeah, don't make a mulch volcano. We like mulch donuts. Yeah. Okay, we're donuts. You want, the, you want to mulch the area where here. not where the trunk is, but where the roots are. Because if you put it on, yes. and the reason why, and it, it's sad, it's just sad when people, when it happens, because people think that they're taking care of, they're thinking they're wrapping their little tree trunk up in a nice little blanket <laughs> and in. saying, oh, you're going to like a little this, bug. but it, that mo- the moisture content on the bark can actually cause dieback into the tree. It can girdle the tree or significantly damage it to the point where it can't move water and uh, sugars and starches as mm-hmm. effectively anymore. And mm-hmm. so if you if you're not many of you are probably familiar but if you're not don't I'm not one of those people who shames people because again we're just there's a lot of things I don't know we're about just plant peeps. Even, we're all just people here but if you <laughs> haven't seen that mulch volcano and your a family member or friend is doing that maybe just reach out to him and say hey let's make that a donut mm-hmm. It's real easy it's real you simple You may have them in Yeah donuts. you'll probably use less just mulch in terms of donuts Yeah mm-hmm. I'll post I'll post a picture of a uh, mulch volcanoes because i unlike brett do shame people and i take pictures yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i don't i guess i don't shame people i take pictures but i don't say where they're from although sometimes you'll see it like you know it's just a hard a thing for you, a particular uh, box store in the background yeah because yeah. people aren't people aren't necessarily like i don't know it, they, they can't they don't know where it's coming from from your perspective like right yes right. Hard. Yeah, yeah. i'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <sighs> i do take pictures though I do Damn, because they're great to use. They're good examples. No, no, no. I, 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 know sure. I know you're kidding. I, I was that was me experiencing the internal. Like, there's a yeah. I've seen them. And I'm just like they're like it's okay, guys. It's okay. One thing I get the question. You know, we tell people to mulch their trees, and they say, okay, well, how much do I mulch the tree? And I go, how much are you willing to mulch the tree? Because like the limit does not exist. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I I say, you know, in a if they want to do it perfectly, they're going to mulch out to the drip, drip line, line of yeah. the tree. So on a hundred, yeah, yeah. hundred year old Oak, that's a big old mulch. Yeah. Uh, and you're not necessarily yeah. having to do it every year. It might be every other year or depending on how thick you lay it down. And the other question is, well, how deep do I go? Ultimately, I would say three. What do you think, Ray? Three inches is a really good. Yeah, most trees three, and shrubs. Three yeah, I was gonna say four. three to four yeah. is the <laughs> depth. You know, newly planted plants, anything more than three to four, and the the roots get confused, especially when water or people tend to have a tendency to water too little, and mm-hmm. they'll seek that. Yeah, yeah, three four. And you're yes, better to so. you're better to reapply mulch in a smaller mm-hmm. layers rather than yeah. try to. This is the ten, kind of ten maintain year mulch three job. to four. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna hook this up and walk away. If, if things are going well, you can just see the very crown of the tree poking out of the mulch. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's not a volcano. There's a tree it's coming out of that pile of mulch. That, that, that's not a real volcano coming. Because if things there. are going well, yeah. that mulch is going to disappear because your soil microbes are happy and they're munching, and it's going to be right. Yeah, disappearing. Mm-hmm. So mulch is. And a, if you've got a lot of roots that are up on the surface, this is not drought stress related, but it reminds me: if you have a lot of roots that are up on the surface of a tree, it's probably because you have a lot of compaction issues Mm. in that soil and so they're up looking for air so if you mulch that that can help with that problem and then you don't have to mow or be around those exposed roots either so just a you know little food for thought just remember is like a good kind of way of telling people not to mow up next to the tree Mm -hmm. without being judgmental right oh man we have this dogwood (laughs) in our backyard that someone just yeeted with a uh weed eater like (laughs) 30 years ago it was or 20 you, years ago it, it was not me they waited oh. <laughs> not this time not, not no, after, two weeks not. ago this guy trashed yeah, it. i used to i used to strip my all my trees down to the canby until alexis told me uh 
She shamed me. She <laughs> took a picture of me and posted it on the internet so with my name. I took a picture of you and posted it everywhere. Yeah. Shaming you. I didn't. I didn't really, but the I wolf would. Wolfman strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we hope that you have uh, kind of collectively understood sort of a few things about heat and drought stress. And so maybe I think sometimes uh, you wanna, you wanna understanding that. Yeah. Well, I just I think understanding the mechanisms yeah. sometimes is like really helpful for people understanding why how something works and like you're y'all smart people here, mm-hmm. you know, understanding how something works and you can make a lot of inferences um, for that. But yeah, who wants to recap? Oh, I, I mean, I think just the idea that the the general plant mechanism for moving water and nutrients through it is that at the leaf surface, this transpirational evapotranspiration process happens. There's water getting pulled out the top, kind of like you or me sweating. There's water vapor. There's other things that are leaving the plant that pulls water through the roots. Along with it comes things like nutrients and as well as the the... Yeah, I think that's that's all the, nu- the, the nutrients, yeah. nutrients water, of water yeah. getting pulled up through the through the roots, and when we have heat, that in some ways can interfere with that process. Whether that be mm-hmm. by if it's really hot and humid, it slows down the whole process of the water going anywhere because of the concentration difference. Uh, if it's just really hot, it could be that the the root system isn't big enough to move enough water through mm-hmm. it, and, you know, at at one time. Uh, it could be any number of things, and the plant may have some different physiological responses. Many of those are not caused to be shocked or to be afraid like I have been at times in my life, <laughs> but it may be time to water and think about that. And you can do that by paying attention to the the temperature. If it's above 80, 85 or so, that's where your, your danger zone and our zones at least can tend to be. Uh, and if you have issues or you have questions, you can always get in contact with your extension office and you can find lots of good resources online. But um, just keep an eye on things and, and, and do your best to learn a little bit more each year. And it's a manageable thing. Inspect your plants. Yeah. No, no, inspect no, them for insects. Inspect diseases. Inspect for heat No stress. replacement just for time. Put plants where they are supposed to be. <laughs> right. Plant, right to how much sun or how little if, shade. If not, invite a wild geranium to come give it a hug. Yes. Yes. Geranium hugs. That will be our next uh, next time we do inner inner cropping. I'm gonna inner planting. I'm gonna talk about weeds. Plant <laughs> hugs. Sometimes they're good. Uh, but anyway, so we I, are thankful that you guys are here. We hope you are enjoying this. Uh, if this is a show that you like, we're gonna start doing that thing that all the other podcasts do, and we're gonna say, "Hey, leave us a review," because it helps other people find us. So it's not just because I need a little, you know, like extra in a uh, little feather in my cap uh today that's just but a bonus just a bonus. but it does i i'm assuming it has something to do with an algorithm i don't know i'm a plant person but i'm assuming there's an algorithm involved and so if you're leaving um reviews that are i believe positive please hopefully they're positive uh anyways if leave us a review it helps <laughs> other people be able to obviously to find us so we do appreciate that uh and you can now there are um Ways to contact us in the show notes that I believe are clickable. If my techies in the in the room will confirm, yes, I'm getting confirmation head nods. Click, click, boom, and so you can contact us there. Email again. We're on Instagram, uh, Hort Culture Podcast. If you ever have any ideas for things you want to know, definitely give us a heads up we would love to because we're just coming up with cool stuff as we think about them, as the weather comes with them, as we. I don't know, come up with wild hair ideas. 
we just we just like to share that with you all. So we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us and join us next week. We're going to talk about some uh, potted plants, which I'm very excited about. So thank you all so much and have a great day.